6: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, to uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our roundtable regulars include on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Henry, did we lose you again? Is
5: there
6: is there, Henry? Well, mm-hmm. he'll he'll call back in a oh. in a moment. And uh, joining our roundtable regulars, we have the uh, 2018 Green Party candidate for governor of Michigan, Jennifer Kurland. Uh joined. Hello,
7: happy to be here.
6: Um, Okay, now I mentioned before we went to the break, and I know I'll get halfway into this and uh, Henry will call back, but...
1: Uh, no, I, I'm here. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, you sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I'm, you have to hear, Henry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear you. Jennifer, when, I apologize only to Jennifer.
6: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I accept your
7: apology.
6: <laughs> well, as I mentioned uh, at the end of uh, the first half, um I, I wanted to get into this uh, this issue when we had a little time to uh, spend with it. Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed another measure Wednesday that would have stripped emergency pandemic powers from the state health department director. While the move was expected, it also likely imperils approximately $370 million in funds tied to coronavirus testing that GOP lawmakers tied to the fate of the next Measure. Senate Bill 1 would have banned the director of the Department of Health and Human Services from issuing any pandemic related safety orders beyond 28 days without first receiving legislative approval to do so. The measure also would have required the director to provide the information used to determine the orders were necessary. GOP leaders in the legislature tried to pass a similar measure in 2020 but it was also vetoed. This time around the uh, legislature tied this bill with federal relief funding. Lawmakers also tied a separate bill that would strip other emergency powers with approximately $840 million in assistance for schools. Whitmer also vetoed that measure, leaving more than $1 billion in federal assistance in doubt. Who is the bigger villain here, the governor for holding up funding or the legislature for tying funding to their political power struggles?
7: Oh, the legislature like a million times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's It's always interesting and so bizarre to me when people who aren't scientists try to, like, say that they
1: know better than scientists? Well, I, I, don't, I don't see where the, the science comes in this argument. But, you know, I, I think they're both villains because they need to figure out how to work together. That's why they were voted into those positions. They need, there are tools out there for them to use, and they've got to be smart enough to use those tools. It's called a compromise. And uh, the legislature is not going to let the governor continue to rule without legislative action. That's just it. That's the people's function, part of the government. And but they, they must. That. They, but, they, but they must, they got to show that they are worth their, their weight in gold or worth the weight in whatever they got yeah. you know, for the people. But they can't continuously let exam. the governor do this without
7: well, no, some input. Well, no, but the governor isn't doing it. The, the scientists are doing it. The Department of Health is doing it. Those are the people that know best about public health. And saying that people who know best about public health need to go to the legislature approval no. about public no. health decisions in a pandemic is bizarre
1: that's that's, that's not the issue it, it really it, goes back stri- to the conflict they use that as a way to get the governor to shift or move
5: yeah and the
1: governor is fighting with the same tactics back
6: and nobody's thinking when everybody's talking nobody's thinking well yeah the governor did an end run around uh the legislature, when, when they took her to court and the Supreme right. Court, you know, really kind of shortened her leash a little bit with regard to some of these emergency powers and actions. So she basically passed it off to the uh, health department and said, okay, you issue <laughs> the directives.
5: Yeah. And, <laughs> no, and so now the legislature that's is... That's a good tactic, there were those two laws that were in conflict, the 1945 one that gave the governor yeah. very wide-ranging powers and the 76 one that gave it the 28-day yes. limit, and that, that was the issue early on, and they just haven't been able to, to leave that issue alone and, as, as Jennifer says, go back with the science.
7: I mean, we just had a report about an outbreak of COVID in schools. You know, we're still in a pandemic, and numbers are going up.
5: Yeah, so I, I just people like that are
7: people that are trying to like take away power from the health department to protect public health don't care about the public.
5: Period. I, I just saw a chart here on Facebook where we just hit five thousand, five thousand cases on Tuesday. Uh, the average is shooting up like crazy, considering that so many of us have been vaccinated already. I mean, it's really kind of a frightening thing when you see that. What, but what guys, happening.
1: there's. There's what you call a cause and effect. There's a cause that's driving these numbers up, and the effect are the numbers that you see. There's a cause yeah. and effect. And we have a cause is that we've it. opened up the state
7: and we're allowing people to pretend that there's not a pandemic, and we've opened up schools and we've put children at risk, and the only people that have had access to the vaccine so far are people who are 55 and up, and not even all, that whole population has been vaccinated. So the majority of the state has not been vaccinated, yet we, and this isn't unique to Michigan because this is happening across the country where numbers are skyrocketing because people are saying, oh, well, the vaccine is out. I heard someone the other day saying, well, because now there's a vaccine, nobody's dying anymore of COVID, which is absolutely untrue. And so this is the time At the very end of the pandemic, when people really want to start living their lives again and see the end of the tunnel to really ensure that public health is a priority so that we don't have more people dying when there is a vaccine. And yet people are still dying. We're still waiting for everyone to be able to get the vaccine, which is going to take time. There's no way around that. But we're just we're just killing people. And, you know, you've got Lansing, both the Democrats and the Republicans are playing this game, and they're playing a game about public health. And that's... You know,
1: I... Now, this is... We're a nation of laws, and people are getting a little antsy. They're tired of being quarantined. They're tired of being... Inside. <laughs> had you been in, in any other country, uh, except Great Britain or in other countries like the United States, the government would tighten the cap down and you can't move but here this is the united states and people govern here and when they say they want to go outside and they take their risk and stuff like that that's what they do and laws can't can't handle the people because their constitution says that there are restrictions there are only limited things that we can do but i think people have a lot to say about whether they go out and expose other people to COVID. But don't well, you yeah, themselves? But, we yeah.
7: opened, but we opened up schools and churches and gyms and you know, like these and restaurants, right? And then we're saying, Oh, well there's an outbreak, oh well there's an outbreak, oh well there's an outbreak. There's a direct correlation there. New Zealand yeah. locked stuff down and now they're fine. Yeah. Because they did the right thing and their people already, even without a vaccine, have been able to live their lives. And it's because their government did the right thing and put public health first, and our government does not. Well, and Great Britain, the, you're seeing the same problems. They did another lockdown, and they're still seeing, you know, cases rise because they're not on full lockdown, and they're having their own issues over
6: there. So well, and the, and the, irony, the irony is, folks, don't you think, that um, in a country that prides itself on governing itself, That people are so unwilling to take personal responsibility and wear masks and do the right things, not because they're ordered to by the government, but because it's the right thing to do to get this thing under control.
7: I mean, I think that's what people were doing, though. People have been wearing masks, and our numbers did drop because people were caring about their neighbors, and they didn't want to infect anyone. But it's because our government, our governors across the country, have been opening things up. Like, that's what people are taking their cue from. They're taking their cue from the fact that schools are opened up. They're taking their cue from the fact that they can now go into a restaurant and eat. Those are the cues that say, okay, well, it's not as bad anymore. There's vaccines out there, so I can start living my life more. But they really can't. And so it's because those cues that are coming from people who are our leaders are saying, oh, well, you can start living your life again. That's why. Because we were dropped, and people have been wearing their masks, and people have been caring about their neighbors. It's the cues that they're getting from the leaders in our country that are telling them that they can do things that are unsafe.
1: Well, there are, two, there are two issues on the table. There's the economic issue, and then there's the health issue. And you can't have one without the other. They must both survive. And uh, <clears throat> there are many people who have lost fortunes over and over and over. And the country is losing its business, its capability of producing products for uh, consumer goods and for the public. Gotta, we have to stop that in some way. We have to take some risk. And already other countries are, are, are back to uh, production. If you look at uh, countries like uh, China and some of the others, they're all producing us every day.
5: We're We're if you, if you, if you that did it that. right, you, you, we could have been past this thing to some degree already. But we've gone back and forth every other week. It's, it's a crisis. It's not a crisis. And it's that kind of back and forth that has caused this endless cycle of, of, of spikes. of. Uh,
1: of the but virus. like the president says, Joe Biden says that nobody can beat us on the way that we can turn out vaccines and, and yeah. introduce them to the public. Now, China, has, think, China has... Tw- Wait, I mean, several, seven times as many people as we do. And yet they can't possibly introduce a vaccine so that everybody's inoculated.
7: Well, well, I mean countries that have, you know, national healthcare systems are able to do it very well because they have a way to do that already you know and in other countries like european countries australia new zealand etc those countries in order to keep their economies going were giving people monthly checks from the government so that people weren't like losing their homes and unable to eat and things like that it's only the united states that doesn't care specifically about people's individual health and hasn't actually cared about individuals to give them a monthly payment
1: well, what a great argument. Can I just uh, think about this? Now, that was an argument that I didn't anticipate and i never thought about. The money that those countries were given to people who were homeowners and had to carry on their day-to-day business no, no, as no, no, usual. To everyone. The government everyone. stepped in. You Not said homeowners. You everyone. said that the government yeah. stepped in and provided for them. Right. Well, you don't have that philosophy here yet. And maybe that will, if you continue to support the Green Party, and get that out right? on the platform. <laughs> so that the other countries that are just shorter, there may be a solution. Right. I mean,
7: it's not even like, a, it's not even these countries that have universal basic income. That's a whole separate thing. That's just literally yeah. during the pandemic, countries were like, people can't pay their rent. Businesses need to stay open. People can't work and they need to eat. And so we're going to give people a monthly stipend, and they get that We they, got, that we put they a, care about their people. <laughs> We've
6: we got a break here. We'll be back with more <laughs> Armchair Politics right after this.
1: Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
5: Technical assistance for the
1: Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The
7: Tom
0: Sumner Hello,
6: this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner program with Jennifer Kerlin joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Welcome back, everybody. Um, as, Congress, uh, as Congress debates new legislation on firearm restrictions in the wake of two high-profile mass shootings, The National Rifle Association is playing a diminished role, but thanks to years of shedding its claim to bipartisanship and aligning almost entirely with the Republican Party, the country's premier pro-gun lobby's agenda has firmly planted its agenda within the GOP, a legacy that continues to frustrate efforts to change gun laws. Once a powerful group respected or feared on both sides of the aisle, financial and legal problems in recent years have hobbled the NRA's ability to shape the political conversation around gun ownership and the Second Amendment. Neither the NRA nor its public face, Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre, have made policy statements about the deadly shootings in Georgia and Colorado beyond citing a long-standing rule to wait for all the facts. Before making such statements, is the NRA's hold on Washington and state capitals diminishing?
5: It seems to be, in light of the the bankruptcy issue and so forth. Although it it's it's become almost more of a cultural issue than a gun issue, I think, in some ways. But I think the NRA has, seems to have evolved more into the lobbying group for the gun manufacturers than for for sports sports groups. But I think they're fading.
7: Well, aren't they going through bankruptcy?
5: Yes. Yeah.
7: Yeah. So, I mean, if they don't have money to give money to politicians, then they're going to have less politicians say what they want them to say. You you mean (laughs) they're
6: they're laying off congressmen?
1: I mean,
7: it seems like it, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, the gun lobby probably isn't, but it seems like the NRA is.
5: Guys, are the congressmen going to get unemployment <laughs> when they get laid off? <laughs> but, but you guys got to look at the
1: science. Look at the science. There are more guns being sold today, and they're increasing all the time. There, uh, there's so many guns out there that I think that the average household has at least one gun or maybe two guns. But there are many people with multiple guns, and it doesn't seem to be diminishing and many people are getting guns. Why? We have the police department in our communities. We have the National Guard. We have we're defended by an standing army and stuff like that. And the people themselves are still aggregating toward getting more and more guns. There's something within our population that that is not we we haven't read yet.
5: I, being, think, I think we're probably people the are most heavily be, armed in com- the two
1: countries in People are becoming more disassociated yeah. with the community than ever before. Something there is going on. Yeah, I, I mean, think I'm you're right, a gun honey. owner. Go ahead.
7: So, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, like, own a gun, right? Like, I own a gun. I'm a single woman. I live by myself. Mm. I need a gun in my home just in case someone tries to break into my house, when I'm here, I want to be able to protect myself. And I've had a couple break-ins in my house, which is what prompted me to, like, buy a gun. So, you know, and that I have a really good police, you know, in my community. Redford is very responsive. But that doesn't mean that they can protect me if something's happening at the time, right? So, I mean, I, I understand in terms of, like, gun ownership, where that comes from. But the major problem isn't even really tied to guns. It's tied to the fact, you know, when you said science, Henry, yeah. we have bans on the CDC from being able to even study gun violence. So we don't even really have the real science behind these mass shootings and gun violence because there is a federal ban on studying this. <laughs> and there's been the an problem. interesting
6: there's been an interesting trend in the last I'd say really in the last year or so and and I know this from people that I've had on the show from like you know the the Michigan gun owners group that that launched a year ago uh, in the wake of some of the efforts of uh, Gabby Giffords and her husband Um, they were gun owners that were advocating for sensible gun laws uh, with regard to waiting periods and those kinds of things. And um, more and more, I see people who are um, really gun lovers. They're hunters and, and, you know, in some cases, gun collectors and gun enthusiasts and so on. But more and more, they are arguing for sensible restrictions with certain types of weapons and how long it takes to get one. And, and I find that kind of interesting and probably possible because of what Paul said earlier about the NRA um, lobbying more on behalf of gun manufacturers than gun owners.
1: Well, uh, Jennifer, it's interesting that Jennifer said that she had a gun. But guess what, Jennifer? I don't even have a gun. I don't uh, either, Henry. And, and I just, on, and I know that you're calling me a fool, and so does everybody else.
6: No, 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 but no. If no, I no. had to go,
1: if I had to go out and buy a gun to defend myself, somebody's not doing their work. And if I had a gun and somebody approached me uh, to do harm with it, I would shoot them. So I don't. I let the police take care of that, and, and uh, if they will. And and you know, I, and I drive down the road a lot. And if someone wanted to pick a fight
6: with me, I'm a goner. There's no way I can protect myself. Henry, I I don't have a gun either. I've never had a great love for gun ownership that that some people have. And my biggest fear is if I did have a gun for home protection and somebody (laughs) challenged me and I had to, you know, use the gun, that I'd shoot myself and three neighbors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I did, remember. I didn't I tell you one time? I, I, my my plans to get the NRA to change their policy on gun control. You get a thousand Black Panthers armed to the teeth to join the NRA, show up at their next convention, and then within the hour <laughs> they would be in favor of gun control before they you knew what they were what was happening. So I yeah.
7: mean, that's sad but true. That's sad but true. But you know the thing yeah. about I mean, like I've I've always been a proponent of you know. People who want to own a gun should be able to own a gun. And if you don't want to own a gun, you don't want to own a gun. Like, it's not for everyone, right? Like, my dad is not a gun guy in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mean, it's more of, you know, when you are a gun owner, there is also a responsibility that comes with it. And I think what you have is you have a divide in gun owners, which is you have responsible gun owners and then you have irresponsible gun owners. And the irresponsible gun owners are the people that don't want to have any regulation because they don't want to have to take a test. They don't want to have to lock up their gun. Um, and those are the people that are more likely to have accidents in the home when it comes to gun ownership. And so I think the major thing when it comes to responsible gun owners is that responsible gun owners are the people that say, yes, there need to be regulations. There need to be classes. People need to be taught how to use a gun, how to clean it, how to keep it safely. Locks need to be required. You know, there's those are things that responsible gun owners advocate for.
1: You know, that's too theoretical it like there. That's too theoretical.
6: But that speaks to Jennifer's point that, you know, we need to allow the studies to go forward. So I, agree. We, so yeah, I agree. So that we have good information and we don't have to speculate. Yes, I agree with that. It seems like the sales have gone are driven by fear. I think I
5: read when when Obama first got elected, because of the fear yeah. he's going to take away your guns, sales of yeah. guns went up, skyrocketed. Once Trump got elected, they went back down again for the very same reason. I mean, it's the fear that oh my God, they're going to take away my guns, and it's never happened. Even the most minor regulations generate that kind of fear. But all of the stuff that's been talked about, nobody's talking about getting rid of all the guns. There's, again, the, the regulations remember, that are out there, waiting periods and things like that, are very modest, very minimal kind of regulations that we apply to, to, to driving a car. Nobody's talking about taking away your cars because you've got to get a license. Remember. Uh, well, and I think you also have,
7: um, you know, recently after the recent um, Asian American um, violence, there was oh, yeah. an increase in Asian Americans purchasing guns.
5: Yeah, that's right. That's yeah.
6: right. Well remember yeah. when Barack Obama said the problem isn't gun control, it should be ammunition <laughs> control and then in, <laughs> then where was it, Montana or North Dakota, they ran out of ammunition? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> because people started buying ammunition. Like crazy
5: buying ammunition like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
7: yeah well, but you know, that's actually not a wrong thing. You know, if you actually had some more uh, requirements on purchasing ammunition or even registering ammunition, I mean, you would certainly see some changes in some people when it comes to ammo, and you would also probably see more recycled ammunition, too.
6: You know what I find a fear today. Go ahead, Henry. There is a fear today that this administration is out to take the guns. Yeah, uh, but that happens every time uh, yeah, there's a Democrat in the White about. House. If you go on the Internet, you can see this dialogue. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, but that happens every time there's a Democrat in the White House. They're coming for your guns. Mm-hmm. And yep. that that isn't really necessarily true. And what I find interesting is the the stash of weapons they find in the wake of one of these mass shooting events, and they they, they search the suspect's home, and they find this whole cache of weapons yeah. and ammunition, a whole stockpile. How is this stuff going unnoticed? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, um, the responsible gun owners and collectors that, you know, um, practice good safety and, and, you know, that are responsible and, and uh, concerned about other people's safety and so on. Um, how does that stuff go unnoticed with the regulations that we already do have?
5: Well, there, there's so many loopholes. I mean, you can buy guns at garage sales. You can buy them online, I gather. I mean, on gun the gun shows require uh, uh, mm-hmm. background checks these days. I'm not nope. sure. No, I um, don't think most,
7: so. Yeah, it, it depends on the state, and it depends on certain other things. But generally, nope. You can go to a gun show, yeah. you know, and you can like ban a certain gun. Like, let's say in Michigan, we're like, all right, nobody can buy any AR, anything, right? Someone could just drive to Ohio and go buy it, and sure. go next to Michigan. <laughs> you know, yeah. so like, yeah. you know, it. This is really something that needs to be taken care of on a on a federal level. Um,
1: I know people know, who used to do that with by cigarettes. State
7: is just not going to help anything.
1: You know,
6: I didn't know that you could buy a gun at a grad sale. I, I, I've seen them for sale. For it, it has happened. Mm-hmm. It,
1: it does occasionally yeah, yeah,
6: happen. And and
5: there,
1: I think that are, there are laws that you must you must identify the serial number when they make
6: exchanges, and you must report it to the police department. And and there are I mean, guns that change gun, hands among there are guns that change hands among family members.
5: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah,
7: I mean, technically, yes, you're you're correct, Henry, that you do need Thank to you. like register that you're a gun owner with your local police department. Uh, But that certainly doesn't mean that everybody does, and it certainly doesn't mean that there's any way to check to make sure that people do that.
5: And I'm sure here in Flint there are many sold out of the trunk of cars at 2 o'clock in the morning that we don't quite know about.
6: (laughs) Oh, yes. Detroit,
7: too, right? Yeah. All over the place.
6: Well, Republican Senator Mitt Romney is this year's recipient of the John F. Kennedy Profiling Courage (laughs) Award for being the lone GOP senator to stand up to then-President Donald Trump in his first impeachment trial, but he's being awarded the honor at a time when he is not holding his own party accountable for restricting voting rights. The John F. Kennedy Library Foundation announced Friday that the Utah Republican senator would receive the award for his vote in 2020 to convict Trump on an article of impeachment and his consistent and courageous defense of democracy. Were you surprised by this announcement? I was, (laughs) to tell you the
5: truth. Uh, You know,
1: after I thought about it, it was something, it would be something that a prominent Democrat or culture would do. Uh, that That was a very brave and defiant thing that uh, he did.
5: Yeah, I, I think for that award, don't they often give it to someone who kind of goes against the trends? I rec- didn't uh, Jerry yeah. Ford uh, win the award a few years back when he, uh, because of his uh, uh, part Vote. of Nixon? Yeah, uh, it I was something so. a few years ago, at least, obviously. But I, I uh, uh, but so yet, yeah, that's they kind of go unconventional with that. So I, it,
1: after uh, I saw and read the article, I had to think about that for a moment. Yeah. Well, was that a political move or was that something that was based on good ideological uh, positioning in a community or in a nation uh, for a person to go against the grain and yet survive it? Um, you well, know, isn't it based upon that
5: kind of profiles and courage idea of someone who goes against the, against the yeah. grain or against the majority of times? Yeah.
1: Would he? uh, And so, uh, my position on that is the verdict is still out. So I don't, I don't, I don't uh, believe that the Republican Party should criticize too much for that. It's a profile encouraged by someone else who saw it, didn't necessarily agree with us.
7: I think there's just a lot of irony with that. Yeah. Right. Like Mitt Romney. (laughs) <laughs> getting like an award like that I mean that's a lot of them.
1: but well, it's you not, know he it's, did it's not the culture that's giving it to him it's a it's a it's a group that's gave it to yeah, him yeah it's
7: like He's a yeah it. it's a private but still I mean like yeah. a profile in courage to yes. Mitt Romney for <laughs> you
6: know but you the, know like Henry there's so I many problems with Mitt Romney <laughs> but like Henry when i read the article I, you know i had to think about that for a few minutes and and you know i was suspicious of the of the motivations but as as paul said you know it is kind of bucking the trend it is kind of meeting the qualifications for a profile encourage award to stand up as as he did not just in that vote although they cited it but romney started his standing up to donald trump Even back during the election of 2016.
5: Yeah, yeah.
6: You know,
1: one person that they missed on that was Abraham Lincoln. He should have been given uh, profiles and courage because. Well, Well, unfortunately, uh, the profile
6: and courage award didn't exist yet.
1: (laughs) I know. But if you were here today, I would give that guy one of these. And I would hand it to him
6: personally if they allowed me to yeah I think there's a lot of awards that we have now that uh that that old Abe would be up for probably um, the uh, main republican party's state committee on Saturday rejected a censure measure against Senator Susan Collins following her vote earlier this year to convict. Former President Donald Trump in his Senate impeachment trial, Collins, who won a competitive re-election last fall in a state that President Joe Biden carried, escapes censure as some of her Republican colleagues in Congress have faced backlash at home, including censures from their state parties for bucking the former president. The committee's final vote was 19-41 to to censure Collins. Her uh, um, office said in a statement, which the Maine Republican Party also confirmed to CNN, party leadership considers this matter settled now, and the team is moving on to preparing to win elections in 2022. <laughs> Jason Savage, Maine uh, GOP's executive director, told CNN in an email on Saturday, does this show that Collins has a better hold in her state than Trump? <laughs> I think so,
5: doesn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah, and it's a different state too it's a uh, it's not a a hardcore trump state, but it but I also wonder whether it does do you think henry it shows a a growing shift within the republican party a a reevaluation of the trump Trump power
1: you know, as I've said before off and on the longer we uh, uh the as much time. Uh, occurs between that event and where we are today, people soon forget, and they move on to something else. Yeah. And other issues move in, and you you're seeing that happen. Except uh, there are some loyalists out there that, uh, and you know, I, I'm not against President Trump. I think he's done a good job for the United States. But uh, you know, there are other things taking place, and we need to. Stop and think about how we solve the problems that the United States faces. And part of that's going to be those 68% million that voted for Donald Trump. Well, they and you've be been saying, that solution,
6: Andrew, you've been saying that since the inauguration. Um, but what does this mean for the, the Republicans that have been censured in their home states? Well, that was
1: then, and this is now. Things change, remember? thing. People look at things differently after a new event occurs. That's why we can't focus on a thing longer than eight seconds. <laughs> Boy, isn't that, <laughs> isn't that true? I mean, we're yeah.
7: just censored just for that specific <laughs> issue, though, right? Yes. So, you know, I mean, it's like the long gone and it's more of like a you know, they just did it for show, right? Like they did the censure. And then it's like, okay, we just did the censure, just, you know, there was just a symbolism there, and now we're moving on, right? Like, it seems to be more of a symbolic thing than, than anything.
1: If they want the institution to survive, they would uh, let it move on the natural direction the way it's going. They have forgiven Collins, and they said, now it's time to get back to business. And I agree. Things happen. They don't call it things, though. they call it something else. And well, German is is yesterday
6: Hen- Hen- <laughs> henry is uh, I, th- I think his uh, um, commentary and analysis has been very insightful since the uh, inauguration when he says now it's time to move forward
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah
6: you know what's next <laughs> you know yeah. why are we relitigating you know these uh these votes on uh, impeachment of Donald Trump and uh, congressional hearings and you know why are we relitigating that stuff when there's new stuff to work on but but it's the people's choice the people will make those decisions
1: not politicians and groups of politicians and egregious politicians and one would do harm to the country just to get back at some ideology that they believe it's good for the country and I believe the people will settle the Donald Trump and uh the gap between donald trump and the american government that's going on democrats basically but that will that will disappear that i will also disappear because of that eight second <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> concentration time because of our nat like attention span <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, very quickly, and we just have literally a minute left until we go to break. Um any any quick thoughts on uh on the vice president's trip to uh the southern border?
5: Uh, <laughs> it's hard yeah, to I think you know have it won't change very much, I don't think, but
1: uh I don't think so either. But no, it's gonna I, I think mean, it's gonna
5: show the concern for the issue in, in a way that's I think she, the fact that she was there may show concern in a way that that Joe Biden might not be able to show. I suspect maybe a little bit of that, but other than that, I don't know.
7: I don't know. We've still got kids in cages, so you know. When, yeah. When yeah. we not when we don't have kids in cages anymore, then we can you know know that there's something real that happened, right?
5: Yeah, well, um, and yeah. some some real meaningful immigration reform is what we really need for both parties, and that just that seems impossible to pull through. We've tried this for so many years.
6: But well, you
1: know what we need to do on the border is get those kids out of the cages. Yeah, just let the press come in. Yeah, and yeah. if if the Republicans did it, then and I don't know that the Republicans did because those kids were. The, there was uh, an assertion that those kids were pictures in cages.
5: We got break
6: during here.
1: the Obama. We got a break. We'll be hey. right back. okay. Thank you. Bye. This is the unknown comic.
6: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now.
2: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
6: you, you, Always. <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at com.
2: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint.
6: Welcome back everybody. We uh, enter the uh, dimension known as the X-Files, the the final segment on today's edition of the Armchair Politics uh, Weekly Roundtable here on the Tom Sumner Program. And I always look forward to those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. This is a fun one. A piece of the Wright Brothers' first airplane is on Mars. NASA's experimental Martian helicopter holds a small swatch of fabric from the 1903 Wright Flyer, the Space Agency revealed Tuesday. The helicopter, named Ingenuity, hitched a ride to the Red Planet with the Perseverance rover arriving last month. Ingenuity... uh, Let's see. Ingenuity... um, will attempt the first powered controlled flight on another planet no sooner than April 8th. It will mark a Wright Brothers moment, noted Bobby Braun, director for planetary science at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. The Car- the Carillon Historical Park in Dayton, Ohio, the Wright's hometown, donated the postage-sized piece of muslin from the plane's bottom left wing at NASA's request. The Swatch made the 300-million-mile journey to Mars with the blessing of the Wright Brothers' great-grandniece and great-grandnephew, said park curator Steve Lutt. Wilbur and Orville Wright would be pleased to know that a little piece of their 1903 Wright Flyer 1, the machine that launched the space age by barely one quarter of a mile, is going to soar into history again on Mars, Amanda Wright Lane and Stephen Wright said in a statement provided by the park. How fitting is it that the first flight on Earth has this connection to the first flight on Mars? That's
5: very cool. Yeah, yeah but, I but, think it yeah, is. It, it, it's amazing that in a little over 100 years we've gone from the first flight of any kind to, to, to go to a flight to, on Mars. I a mean, I mean, century is a short time in human history, but so much has happened that within a little over 100 years all that has taken place.
6: Well, a boat And the
1: thing that Go ahead, the Henry. thing Yeah, the thing fits. What the rights. Um, the thing fits as um events occurred uh back in 1903 they're occurring in the same with the same theme as we try to put a position ourselves on mars so it's connected philosophically anyway
6: Well, a boat in Florida was apparently jealous of all the attention being given to that giant cargo ship wedged in Egypt's Suez Canal. On Thursday (laughs) evening, the 38-foot-long pink-and-white boat somehow landed on Interstate 10 near Crestview, (laughs) blocking traffic for hours, according to NWF Daily News. The accident happened when a 64-year-old Florida man (laughs) from Pensacola was hauling the boat west when the trailer started to sway and collided with a guardrail. There were no injuries, according to a Facebook post from the Crestview Fire Department, which said the Florida Highway Patrol removed the boat. How unusual is it to find a boat on a Florida highway? <laughs> <laughs> Probably in Florida, it's pretty routine stuff, right? <laughs>
7: I'd I say, as Florida stories go, that's pretty tame,
6: right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had, I had to change the copy a little bit. It, it, it originally said a Pensacola man, and I thought, I, nah, i got to put in Florida man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a uh, Massachusetts woman noticed something strange about the for sale sign outside a home in her neighborhood. On top of the sign with the name of the broker and their contact information was a sign with the words, not home haunted in big red letters. The house is west of Boston but Bloomstein uh, didn't want to say exactly where to um, respect the homeowner's, uh, didn't want to say exactly where to um, respect the homeowner's privacy but she reached out to the real estate agency to learn more about the sign. They knew nothing about it either. Does advertising a house for sale as not haunted attract the right kind of attention (laughs) Uh, i mean we we
7: certainly got attention
6: (laughs) i think so
5: maybe we could pick up a few of those signs for the governor's mansion here in michigan the general (laughs) secretary of state
7: (laughs) (laughs) i mean in some ways right like homes that have had you know salacious murders and other things in them are very attractive (laughs) to certain kinds of buyers they're just trying to get a certain kind of buyer
6: I um, interviewed a guy recently I got to think of the name of his uh, his book I can't think of the author's name either but he had made a career out of uh, a real estate career out of um helping people, uh, move property that had some kind of negative, uh, impressions oh. about it. Like, like, for example, O.J. Simpson's, uh, home in, yeah. um, oh, where was it? It wasn't Beverly Hills. What was the little suburb? uh
5: um yeah
6: in the los angeles uh, area yeah yeah but but i, I, I think they told that head.
1: home down didn't
6: they? i'm not sure i'm not sure i, I but, think so um
5: well there was that one home sale over here and was it towards owasso where that grizzly murder took place a couple of years ago it just sold i believe uh i've forgotten the guy's name but uh, a very Grizzly kind of murder took place there and I think they just, they just sold the home like, from what I saw a story recently. So.
6: Is, that, and, and is that the one where the victim's name was uh, Kevin Bacon?
5: Yes, yes, that's right, that's right, yeah.
6: And, and there, there's a home in
1: Flint, uh, well actually it's in the Beecher District in which a little girl was shot by a little guy six years old, they were both. And, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know what, they, they destroyed that house completely got rid of it. It doesn't exist anymore.
6: Yeah, Jerry Weingarten uh, represented the, um... Kayla Rollins was her name.
5: Yeah, K.K. sure, yeah. J.D. did handle that case uh, for quite a
6: while. Well, a Tennessee man was able to turn his luck around after finding his missing $1 million winning lottery ticket in a parking lot. Actually, I, I, I dropped it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it. It actually remained where he dropped it, even on a blustery afternoon. Sparta resident Nick Slatton learned on March 11th that he won a drawing with all matching numbers on a ticket worth $1. Uh, almost $1.2 million, the Tennessee Education Lottery said in a statement. Slatten rushed to his fiancé's workplace to share the news, then continued running errands, including taking his brother to buy a car park, followed by a stop for lunch. Within an hour, Slatton went from ecstatic to panicked when he realized he didn't have the ticket anymore. To make matters worse, if a player loses an unsigned ticket, anyone can claim it, the lottery said. So Slatton immediately began retracing his steps, eventually leading him back to the auto parts store where he saw the ticket lying in the parking lot. Mm. It's a million-dollar ticket and someone stepped right over it, Slatton said. He was able to retrieve the ticket which somehow didn't get blown away and claim the prize how do the odds compare between winning the lottery and recovering a lost ticket in a parking lot (laughs) on a windy day about the same (laughs) right
7: (laughs) more likely to get hit by lightning
6: yeah hey that was just that was an amazing story Anyway, that wraps it up uh, for today's edition of Armchair Politics, but not before I say thanks to our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you both.
5: Always Thank good to you. be
6: here. And, and I'd just like to say this about Jennifer. Jennifer, you're
1: exciting to listen to uh, To defeat our arguments, uh, and uh, you do a good job, buddy. <laughs> right? You make us think. Great to uh, have you here, Jennifer.
5: Yes, <laughs> it
1: is. <laughs> Thank you. Always.
7: Oh, it's so lovely to be with you guys. I yeah. I love coming on and chatting with you guys, and it's super duper fun. Yeah, I'll it's talk to you here anytime, anywhere. <laughs>
6: well, I I hope you'll come back and join us again. I think it's been too long since you were with us.
7: Anytime, Tom. I'm
6: happy. Jennifer Curlin, the uh, 2018 Green Party uh, candidate for governor here in the state of Michigan. What's what's next for you, Jennifer? Very quickly.
7: I've got a bunch of projects I'm working on. So
6: as soon as I get something solid going, you will know. All right. Well, there's Smoke and George Winters, Tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it today. I also want to say uh, thanks to Jack Devine, the uh, author of um, Spymaster's Prism, for joining me earlier this morning.